0: Well, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. We have been uh, studying the parables, and uh, you should have your notes there. Uh, During Jesus' earthly ministry, He went about preaching and teaching. He frequently used parables to uh, teach people truths about the kingdom. It's been estimated that at least one-third of Jesus' teachings are found to be in a parable form. Uh, According to Worsby, Um, certainly many of the most often and remembered sayings of Jesus are found in his parables. And uh, this morning we're going to start by looking at the first parable in our list of parables listed as they come in the scriptures. So, you know, looking at what to tackle, I didn't think that we would uh, try and get all of them. So we're not necessarily going to do all of them in order. But this one happened to be the very first one, and certainly one that we can learn a lot from. So I thought, well, let's tackle the first one right at the beginning of the list of parables that we've seen. So let's review. What is a parable? What is a parable? Just the basic definition that anybody would use, probably the most common definition. Anybody remember? An earthly story with a heavenly meeting. Yeah. Uh, So, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, that's probably the most readily available, most commonly used explanation of a parable. Uh, But what other things could be included in a parable? What other types of teaching, uh, when you take the word parable, actually, and what it means, it's, in our mind, we immediately think of Christ's teachings in parable form. But what what are some of the things that could be included in a parable by the definition of the word? A proverb? Correct. A proverb could be included. Uh, Another uh, term, um, you know, parable means to put alongside. Um, So a similitude. Sometimes there's some things in the scriptures that they would would classify as a similitude because there's not enough structure or enough uh, story form to make it a parable. But in the definition of the word, it fits there. That's why you have a very broad range of, People say, well, there's only 30 parables, or they might say there's 40 parables, or they might say there's 44. If, you know, so that's why the number varies. It just depends on what they want to classify that fits inside that term of parable, and I don't think it makes much difference as far as exactly where you end up on that. Um, then what was the purpose of Christ's teaching in parables? It was twofold purpose that we gave. Both of these are found in Matthew chapter 13, um, but what was the purpose that Jesus taught in parables? The first one was to what? Alright. There was, there was many people that came that they were just curiosity seekers. They just came, they didn't want a relationship with Jesus Christ, so he was teaching a parable about the kingdom that the disciples could learn more about by asking, but that those that came that didn't desire to know that we're just seeking it, the truth of the parable would be concealed. So Jesus taught by parables to conceal the truth of the parable from those that were just curiosity seekers who didn't want a relationship with Christ. And then secondly, Jesus taught by parable to reveal to those that desired. Many times you'll see the disciples, after Jesus teaches this parable, they'll go off alone and the disciples will come to Jesus and say, what mean ye by these sayings? What is it you're trying to teach us? And Jesus then will explain or expound the parable to them so that they could learn it. So that's why Jesus taught in parables to conceal the truth. That's in Matthew 13:10 through 17. If you want to just make a note of that, now it's in your notes. But um, and then to reveal is Matthew 13:34 to 35. Again, these are in the notes that we've already covered. I'm just reviewing to try and get us all. I felt like last week we were like we hit the ground running and we were kind of just plowed through all that information. And it was kind of, I know when you're going that quick, things get jumbled together. So I just wanted to review some of the key things as we get into this. What is the major theme of parables as a whole? The major theme of the parables. They all deal with this, most of them deal with this in some form or another. Jacob? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. So that's the major theme. A lot of parables even start with the kingdom of heaven is like unto. That phrase is used in the very beginning of the parable. And even the ones that don't start that way, if you look at it from that perspective, you can see how it applies to the kingdom of heaven. And so they're dealing with the kingdom of heaven. In our notes, we gave you three areas that it deals with the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are in previous week's notes. If you don't have these and you would like them, we can get them to you. Um, But the three areas that it deals with the kingdom of heaven, does anybody remember what those were? It deals with the character of three things. It either deals with the character of the king. So the parables talking about the character of the king, describing the king itself in the kingdom of heaven. Or it deals with the character of the king. The kingdom of heaven, as far as what it's going to be like, expounding or explaining the kingdom of heaven to the disciples, or it deals with the character of the subjects that would be us that were in the kingdom of heaven. So it deals with one of those three aspects, or it could be applied to those areas. So this is just some review um, as we're getting into today's lesson. Uh, now today we're dealing with the the title that I'm using, that I borrowed from somebody, is two houses in a hurricane. Uh, I've seen many uh, titles of different parables. The parables, I told you, one of the problems I had as I was studying is people call them their own, the parable, they give them their own title. So it's not like, um, other than like the Good Samaritan, that one is all titled the Good Samaritan by everybody. But, you know, some of them... People come up with their own titles, so when I'm doing this research and studying, one person calls it this, and one person calls it that, and also the context of the passage, some uh, may say it starts in verse number 7, some may say it starts in verse number 11, and so it really took a lot of extra work to try and just to deduce what it was that we were actually dealing with, but to, to this morning, we're going to deal with uh, Two Houses in a Hurricane, and uh, I like that title, so I used it. Um, now, the first... My outline here, I made it all tease, which I'll explain to you why that's funny here in a little bit. Uh, But the telling of the parable. First of all, we're going to deal with the telling of the parable. Um, So, in context, this parable is found in the Sermon on the Mount. So, you have to look at the parables in context. What's around it? What's before it? What's after it? To try and determine, we talked about the interpretation of parables in an earlier lesson and uh, that you have to determine what the main thought, the main truth is, and you do that by looking at the context. What is it that prompted the telling of this parable? What problem arose that Jesus said, hey, I need to teach this? So in light of this, we need to look at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. The Sermon on the Mount starts in chapter 5, verse number 1. Now, we're not going to read all the way back to chapter 5, verse number 1, through this, but just for your notes, you can mark this down. The Sermon on the Mount starts in 5, verse number 1, and goes through the end of chapter 7, 729. And this is all dealing with the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is a collection of individual truths that's correct, but it's also a message as a whole. Like any message that I would teach, that anybody would get up and preach. I might get up and and preach that... uh, you know, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. And so you're going to reap what you sow. Then in the same message, I might say, God blesses those that live a righteous life. That ties in with you reap what you sow, you, but it is a truth that stands on its own. God blesses those that live righteously. Uh, I might say, uh, talk about that God sees everything that you do. Again, a truth that stands on its own, but when put together it's all reinforcing or teaching the one underlining principle. So in light of this, the Sermon on the Mount, what is the one truth that ties in, in the Sermon on the Mount? There's many little, little nuggets of truth that could be taken and they could be a message in themselves. Uh, there's been entire books, 300 plus pages written on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so this, but each truth could be taken by itself. But as a whole, what is it? That ties these things together. That is that it's the gospel of the kingdom. So to the in our passage of scripture, verse chapter seven here, um, he starts out in verse number twenty-four. Look at that with me in verse number twenty-four. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. This is the very start of our parable. So In chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse number 24, he says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. What are the sayings that he's talking about? What does that include? Is that just this parable? It would include the entire Sermon on the Mount. It would include the sayings that Jesus had been teaching, what he had been dealing with for this period of time. So, it would have to include the two preceding chapters and this chapter as well. So that's the first thing in your notes uh, that you need to mark down that it includes the two preceding chapters as well as, well as this chapter. The things, these things, if he says, whoever hears the, the sayings of mine and doeth them, it includes all of that context. Okay. Um, then as we're approaching closer where we're going to pick up our, our reading, we're not going to go back to chapter 5, but as we begin to approach closer to our parable, again, putting in context what is being taught, Uh, look in verse number 13. First of all, we have the two ways. You might want to mark on your notes that the two ways start in verse number 13. They start in verse number 13. And, And this is a familiar teaching here, but he says in verse number 13, Enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be... That find it. So broad is the way that leads to destruction; narrow is the way that leads to life. A familiar passage of scripture. Uh, many of you here, if I said that, even outside of us just reading that, if I said broad is the way that, and you could go leadeth to destruction. I mean, a familiar passage of scripture. You know that already. And narrow is the way that leadeth to life. And so he's again, we're putting our parable in context. Understand what he's talking about here is the beginning of the Christian life, choosing Jesus Christ. He says, listen, broad is the way. A lot of people are going to miss it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. But there there are few that find it. So he's talking about the beginning here, the start of the Christian life. Then he talks about the two trees in verse number 15. Verse number 15. He says, beware of false prophets. Now, we dealt with this, Pastor Derek dealt with this passage of Scripture, just this section of this Sermon on the Mount on Thursday night when he was talking about uh, the King James Bible and how they change doctrine by changing words in in the Scriptures. And so here he says in verse number 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are... Ravaging wolves, wolves, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of a thistle? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth what kind of fruit? Good fruit. But every corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. So, good tree equals what? Good fruit. Bad tree equals? Bad fruit. I mean, that's very clear. That's why, in this modern way of thinking, I can love God in my heart and live, by, live like the devil is false according to the scriptures. Good tree is going to produce good fruit. There's no other way around it. Bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. We We were out back cleaning up from VBS and I was with the two interns and there was a stack of wood down there and I reached down into the stack of wood and I grabbed this board to pull it out. And it was quite a bit longer than I thought it was. Well, this board had a narrow crown staple about an inch and a quarter long sticking through it. And I reached down to grab this board and the board didn't move. But my hand slid up. And the staple went into my thumb. Now, obviously, the reaction when the staple goes in is to jump away from it, right? Well, I jumped away, but the angle at which I jumped pushed the staple further into my hand. Oh, it hurts so bad. <laughs> Oh, it hurt! I, I just, I just cringed with the pain, and I, I looked at the two interns. I said, "Well, I guess you know I'm not a cusser because if I was, it would have just, <laughs> it would have just come out <laughs> for sure. I mean, there would have been no way to stop that. If that was in my heart to come, I mean, that would have come out because that. Oh, it hurt! I mean, I just, it, it, it's still a little bit of a mark there, but it, I mean, just that small thing piercing down in, and then I shoved it a little further just for good measure, you know." <laughs> Um, I'm glad it didn't get stuck in there. I was able to put my finger the other direction and pull it out. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And there's no way around that. Good fruit is going to produce, good tree is going to produce good fruit. And a bad tree is going to produce bad fruit. There's no way around that. This is dealing with the growth in the Christian life. So we see him talking about the start in the Christian life, and then we see him talking about the growth in the Christian life as we grow and become more and more like God wants us to be. Then we have the two builders uh, that we start in verse number 24. This is the final test. is not what we think about what, where we're at or what we believe to be true. It's the foundation that we started on. And this is dealing with the end of life. When we read this passage of Scripture in context, we see Jesus talks about, okay, when we get all the way to the end, everyone that said to me, Lord, Lord shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because they have to start with the right foundation. And like Pastor, Dar- Pastor Gus was talking about, uh, that these churches in a lot of times, uh, you know, they would allow the false religions to stay. Just the other night in devotions, the kids and I read about Solomon and how Solomon brought these wives from other countries. And he allowed them to bring their gods. And he... Uh, wanted to please them, so he built temples to their gods. And then he would go to the temple and worship with them. We think, how could he do this? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, uh, get drawn away like that. Um, But he was drawn away like that. And what he was saying here, the final test is not what you think. People may believe in their heart of hearts that they're doing right. They may believe that their good works, they're crawling on their knees. They're doing a measure of penance. They're they're giving certain amount of money to a church. They're accomplishing or giving and helping the poor. They may in their heart believe a hundred percent that that is right and that's going to get them to heaven. But what we believe is not what makes a difference. It's what Jesus Christ said that we have to rely on. And this deals with the end of life. When the ultimate storm, the judgment, comes, and what foundation was your house built on? Jesus Christ. So, then we see the characters here, the characters of the parable. Now, I don't want to just fly through this for the sake of getting getting it done. I want to make sure that I teach it and that it's understandable and we're not, not moving too fast. Um, let me give you the characters, and then we'll see if anybody might have a question in their mind, something, but... The characters. First of all, this this just information here really. The wise man defined. The Bible defines itself. It says, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them is likened unto a wise man. So a wise man is somebody that hears the sayings of God and does them, does what God says. Now, in the context of this passage of scripture, somebody tell me what is he saying is wise. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them is likened unto a wise man. Now, in the context. Now, I know in in application, we can say anything. If we obey God, but in the context of the passage of Scripture, what is it dealing with? What is he saying he's likened unto a wise man? What what are we talking about? Somebody said it. See, I'm asking you to engage your minds so I don't lose you. We're dealing with salvation. Right, trusting Christ. Having a sure foundation. We're talking about the foundation is a foundation built on Jesus Christ. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, he will liken unto a wise man. Now, that could be applied to every area of our life. But again, looking in context, the context, I believe this passage is dealing very clearly with salvation. So the application, the wise man is somebody that hears the gospel of Jesus Christ, believes it, and trusts the Lord as his Savior. In context, Now, it can be applied to many other things, but that's what he's talking about as a wise man, one that hears it and does it. The foundation, the foundation that was laid, uh, he says here, which buildeth his house upon a rock. The foundation is on the rock. The storm described, the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house. These are just phrases right out of the scripture. We're just walking through the text of of the the Bible and uh, just... Defining briefly what we are, talking about the storm that comes. Now, in context, the ultimate storm that's going to come is the judgment. There are many other storms that beat upon the life of a Christian. But in context, we're talking about the ultimate storm at the end when man's work shall be tried. And we're going to look at that a little further. But the foolish man defined, everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man. That is somebody that comes into the house of God or that uh, one of the soul winners of the church here went and knocked on their door and said, hey, I would like to show you in the Bible how you could know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die. I've had the opportunity many times to open the Bible and share very clearly from the scriptures what you do according to God's word to get to heaven. And then I look at them and say, would you like to trust Jesus Christ today, right now? And they said, no, no. I'm not ready. What? I mean, it couldn't be any easier. couldn't be any simpler. It's right here. Now is the day of salvation. Uh, I mean, you need to do this now. Don't put it off. You're not, you know, boast not thyself of tomorrow. And they say, no, I'm not ready. What does the Bible say that man is? Foolish. (laughs) Foolish. Because he heard it, he had opportunity, and didn't do anything with it. So that's the foolish man. Um, Then the the want of a foundation is described he built his house upon the sand the storm described that comes again the flood and the winds blew and beat upon the house and the result is it fell and great was the fall thereof so the truth of the parable i told you that parables have one main truth there are a lot of ways we can apply them there's a lot of things that we can learn but what is the one main truth there are some Men that I would respect and that I would read after who, in my studying, believe that this parable, because of its phrasing, is dealing with obedience. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, that's obedience, correct? But if you take it in context, I could not get around the context of the passage of Scripture is dealing with salvation. Now, you could take obedience, say it's obedience in the area of salvation. You could apply it that direction, and that would be okay if you take it that far. But some would just say it's obedience in the Christian life. Um, again, not going to shoot anybody that believes that, There's, uh, but I think in context, what I believe it's teaching very clearly is that it's dealing with salvation. So, the main truth I've written down here is a contrast between wisdom and folly, In the matter of salvation, profession will be tested for possession before God at the judgment. Some may profess to know Christ. Everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just because they profess Christ doesn't mean that they have a foundation built upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. So they've got to have that uh, sure foundation. So now the translation of the parable. When Pastor Derek saw my uh, notes here, he says, what? He said, you can't use that. I've been teaching week after week that the translation is over here. Interpretation is over here. And you can't confuse them. You're going to mess them up. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not translating the scriptures. I'm just translating the." He's like, no, no, you can't. I said, well, I'm using it. <laughs> so he didn't like the fact that I was using translation because there is a difference. We know that. The problem with some of the modern translations or versions is that they are taking the job of the interpreter, of the preacher, and trying to put it into the translation. They're saying, we want to make it more understandable. We want to make it more defined. We want to make it easier to read. So we're going to change the scriptures and make them say something. But the translation is not supposed to be the application. The application comes from the preacher. So we're not talking about translating the scriptures. I'm just talking for lack of a better word, defining or explaining what the characters of the parable are. So that's what we want to look at. What are these characters? What are the parts of the parable? And again, you have to be careful that you don't get overly... Don't try and apply spiritual meaning to every single little part of a parable. Don't get too overly into that and trying to dig into that and find application in every area. Um, But I think pretty easily we can see a few of these truths. First of all, the building... The building. Uh, the translation of this parable, the building, letter A. Everyone is building on, on one or the other foundation. That's a fact. Everyone is building some kind of a building on a foundation. Uh, going through their life, they are building something. Everyone is building. Some, is, some are wise builders, some are foolish builders, but everyone is building. So there is a building being constructed. There is a wise builder... The wise builder is all who put their custom, curiosity, and criticism aside to trust in Christ alone. To trust in Christ alone is the note you the, the part that you need there. The wise builder is somebody who puts their custom, curiosity, and criticism aside to trust in Christ alone. We gotta sometimes people have to put off everything that they believed up till that point. Man, I always thought. Brother John was out witnessing just the other day and he told me he knocked on the door and some lady said she was going to heaven. He says, well, can I ask you, how do you know you're going to heaven? And did she say because my mom and dad are in heaven? She's going to heaven because her mom and dad are in heaven. That is what she believes is going to get her there. I mean, that's not even good works. It's just my mom and dad went to heaven, so I'm going to go to heaven. It's like it's hereditary. It just happens. Uh, That's not Bible. For her to accept Jesus Christ to get the sure foundation, she's going to have to look at the Scriptures, hear the sayings of God, and do them, and put aside what she believed up till that point. And so, they're wise. He will liken them unto a wise man, is wise unto salvation, like we see in 2 Timothy 3.15. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make thee wise... Unto salvation through the faith which is in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So a person can be wise unto salvation, knowing what the Bible teaches about salvation. The Bible says is wise. Then there's the foolish builder. All who build on a mere belief or doctrine, they might just believe in doctrine. They might believe in uh, a practice, a particular teaching, rituals, tradition. Anybody that believes or puts their faith in those things, the Bible says, they're building their entire life. Everybody's building. They're over here constructing their house. All of their life they're investing in this home. They're building and building and building and building. But at the end of their life, it's going to be washed away like that if it's not on a sure foundation of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Everybody's building, investing in their building. It's any who build on their own goodness. Many people do that. I think I'm going to get to heaven because I'm good. Because I, you know, my my good outweighs my bad. I'm a pretty good person, so I'll probably make it. On our best day, the Bible says we're our works are as filthy rags. So our goodness is not going to get us. All who reject the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ have never become wise unto salvation. They rejected the atonement that Jesus Christ offered with his death, burial, and resurrection. Then the foundation that is laid. The foundation, the rock that is spoken of here, is who? Jesus. Yes, it's not Peter. It's Jesus. He is the rock. Let me give you some scripture references. Um, I only got a couple of minutes We'll get through this point here, the teaching of the parable. We'll get into application next week. Um, But I want you to have these references. Uh, Psalms 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. Psalms 18.46. The Lord liveth and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Uh, Psalms 46, verse number two. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, we don't have to fear because the rock that we stand upon, though all the rest of the earth gets washed away, we're on the rock of Jesus Christ and we don't have to fear because of that. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 and 11, according to the grace of God, which giveth unto me a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid which is, anybody know? Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ. And then let me give you this last reference, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. The sand, so the rock is Jesus, the sand is self-reliance, self-reliance. Shifting and uncertain feelings, shifting in respective customs, the storm is judgment. We'll try every man's work to see what sort it is. <clears throat> and then the result is certain. This is amazing truth right here, these last two things. I'm going to give you this and we're going to be done. The result is certain. Nothing can stop the fall of the house built on the rock. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Nothing can cause the house to fall that is built, that is sure foundation is Jesus Christ. That is awesome. That is amazing. Does not matter what comes, what storm of life may come, what trial or what judgment at the end, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing's going to cause that house to fall. That's an amazing promise. Because it's built on the foundation. But nothing um, nothing can endanger the house that is built on that rock, Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry I messed my things up here. Nothing can... S- My notes there are messed up. Nothing can stop the fall fall of the house. Yeah, well, correct. But I just applied it wrong because I was reading incorrectly. So it's written correctly. I just said it wrong. So nothing can stop the fall of the house that's not built on Christ. Mm -hmm. And nothing can endanger the house that is built on Christ. Doesn't matter what it is. My application was correct. I just read it incorrectly in my notes. But, uh, and I had it written correctly. So you have it correctly. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying, even though I said it backwards, right? <laughs> We're all on the same page with that powerful truth that I just messed up? <laughs> okay, very good. All right, well, thank you so much for your attentiveness. Next week, we'll get into the teachings of the parable. Those are the, the applications, things that we can apply this to our life and how to, can it can apply to us beyond just the context.